0: Good morning. This morning I have the privilege of being able to introduce our speakers, um, John and Deb, um, and their family. They're going to be sharing with us about the ministry that they do in Russia. Um, I know that I got to meet John, uh, not on this furlough, but the furlough that he did, um, what was that now? Four or five years ago, yeah. And it was an awesome, awesome opportunity to meet with John. I know that I was going to Pettisville's FCA, and I walked in, and I knew the huddle leader, but I didn't really know John. And it was one of those opportunities over the course of that school year. We got to sit down. We got to eat. We got to know each other. And it is amazing, um, his heart, just to tell people about Jesus. It's amazing to hear about how He wasn't just back on vacation for a year. He was back, and he wanted to share the good news. He wanted to impact Pettisville. And that same um, heart, that same vision, I know that he has for Russia. I know his family has for Russia. I'm not going to share everything that they do because, quite honestly, I don't know everything they do, but I know they serve over in St. Petersburg. I know they travel a ton all over. I know that, um, quite honestly, we get probably an email about every month about some difficulty that's happening in Russia and if we'd be praying for them. And uh, I know that we've been able to support them for the last four years now, and their newsletter is always back there on our welcome table. So I'm going to have you guys come up. I'm going to have you share about the ministry that's happening there. But before you share, can I pray for you? Sure. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that uh, you allow us to get involved with a uh, not only what's happening in our community be community but what's happening in the whole world Lord, I just pray that um, John's heart would overflow to each and every one of us and that we would have a, a heart for what's happening in the rest of the world um, Lord we just pray for those nuggets of wisdom that we can take today and use throughout the rest of the week in Jesus name Amen
1: Thank you, Dan. Oh, sorry. I'm always surprised every time Debbie does that little presentation that I can actually read the words (laughs) I'm one of the only ones and I love it now it took 20 years to get there though that's how long we've been over in in, uh, Russia Uh, it's been 20 years and just thank you so much for allowing us to come today it's been a while you guys have supported us so as I'm telling you and talking about what we do the people that we work with, the areas that we work in, just remember that by your supporting the missions here and and your offerings and your prayers, that you are involved in that work of spreading the word of God to people who've never had it, you know, that blank book, (laughs) or to kids who are, as I teach, I'm a teacher at at a Christian school, and Deb works at the Wycliffe office. One of the things about that Russian language if you guys want to see what your name looks like in Russian, you thought Noah looked funny, and, and it, so afterwards, if you go back, Debbie will write out your name on a little card, and you can put it as a you know, here's my name in Russian. That's actually pretty cool. Some of the names look really weird. Uh just let you know that. So thank you so much for your support, having us come here. One of the things, uh, this is the first time here at this church though, and just a little bit of background about how we got involved in missions. A lot of times people ask, how did you get involved in missions? What was this? What? How did you do it? Well, uh, it started as a little kid sitting in my mother's lap. Well, I probably never sat on her lap. I was always running around. But, uh, uh, and when missionaries would come to church, I'd listen, and I thought, wow, that'd really be something. That'd be cool. So even as a little kid, I was kind of interested in it. Wanted to get involved in missions, and it took a long time. But finally, the opportunity came when I was uh, 24 years old. I became, you know, I dedicated my life to the Lord. I met Debbie. And we both realized, we both had been called to missions apart and we came together and realized that we were going to have to, uh, we're going to choose a place to go together. So we're both, you know, 24, she was, she's a little bit older than I am. And uh, we went to our denomination, where do you start? So our denomination at the time that we were going was the United Brethren in Christ. And we went out to the missions, the head of the missions department And I remember as 24 years old, I was so excited and I'm ready to go. And I told them all the great things that I could do for their mission agency. And and they had a place that they were just opening up that I just thought would sound really cool. It was associated with, this is 1984, so associated with communist China. And I just thought, wow, that'd really be cool. And and this old guy that was in charge, he was this missions elder statesman. He'd been overseas in, in Africa for 20 years. And he was sitting in his big old leather chair. I still remember this. He sat in this big leather chair and he rocked back, put his hands on his, you know, put his hands on his stomach. He goes, "Okay, John, there's a few things you need to do." So I kind of started listening. He goes, first, you need to get married." Well, Debbie, we were engaged and she was sitting next to me in the chair. and I thought, "All right." And uh, then he said, "You know, and then you need to have kids." Wow. You know, when you're younger and an old person's giving you advice on exactly what you want to do, what do you think, man? That guy's wise. He's speaking the word of God right to me. And he said, you need to have kids because children, when you're in a different culture, they open up doors. You may not know how to speak, but they know how to play together with other kids. And all of a sudden, you're in the playgrounds or you're doing whatever. And it literally, literally opens doors when you have kids. And it's true. And so I was getting more excited. And he said, and then, John, you need to go to seminary. And I thought, man, this guy, he just has a heart for the Lord and can speak right into me. And he was leaning back, and I'm leaning forward in my chair. And, and then he said, and then you need to get out of debt. <laughs> and I remember falling back, almost literally falling back in my chair, wondering, how does that work? How do you get married, have kids, go to school, seminary, and get out of debt? Right. Somebody's laughing. Somebody realizes that that just sounded, remember last week talking about the faith and the fear? And, you know, when Todd was here and he's talking about that. And, you know, I, I just thought, how in the world is that going to work? You know, I'm ready to go now. Well, that was 1984. <laughs> in 1993, nine years later, I was on a, well, we were on an Air France flight heading to Russia uh, with my wife sitting next to me. She was pregnant. I had my Dallas Theological Seminary degree in my briefcase. And I had $7,000, all the money that we actually owned in my briefcase, and we were debt-free. So nine years later, of God's faithfulness. And so that's one of those things, as I was listening last week, I was thinking, you know, just that nine-year period. I should, no matter what happens, I should look back and say, God was faithful for nine years. And, you know, when you're 24, 25, 26 it, that's a long time to wait and to work towards. But God was faithful and brought us to it. And then you think, I was flying to Russia. Think about that for a second. In 1984, when I was ready to go, if someone would have said, hey, John, why don't you go to Russia? Well, that Russia didn't even exist. It was the Soviet Union. If you could put yourself back in the 80s, some of you were able to do that. <laughs> and you're able to remember what it would have been like if somebody had told you in 1984, and you're going to go to Russia, and you're going to go to St. Petersburg. It didn't even exist. They had to change the name of the city for me to get there. It was Leningrad in 1984. When we went, it was St. Petersburg. It was the Soviet Union, now it's Russia. So God worked in all those things, and just, it was incredible. And so we landed in, in St. Petersburg with Wycliffe Bible Translators to go to all those brand new countries that had just been started. Debbie, I don't even remember how many there are, 15 or 16? Um, it's one of the things, just a little aside, kids as a teacher... I, or as, You know sometimes your parents tell you how hard it was in school. Well in geography It's not true when I was in high school that big part of the world one-fifth of Europe and Asia I could just draw a big line around paint it red and say Soviet Union <laughs> 16 to 17 countries have come out of there since then Turkmenistan Uzbekistan Tajikistan Kyrgyzstan has anybody done geography and had to put those in yet That's the areas those are the areas where we work and uh, we're not actually translators. Uh, we tr- I took the courses, and I wasn't able to do it. So I was in the support role in the translation process. But one of the things that we do, and, and now, Debbie works at the Wycliffe office, and I work with the International Christian School in St. Petersburg with missionary kids teaching them. But at the beginning stages, we're in Wycliffe. And, uh, the job of both of our roles is to do this. It's to focus on getting the word of God into people's hands and training them to use scripture for God's glory and kingdom. So to read it, first off, to get it, to read it, to understand, and to do it. Now, why? I'd like to, there's a couple passages that we're going to look at, all dealing with scripture and as the word of god and as the sword of the lord the first one is in ephesians chapter six it's a very famous passage uh just read i'm going to read verses 10 through 12 and then 17 so our job is to get this weapon that they're going to talk paul's going to talk about here into the hands of people and understand how to use it it says in ephesians chapter six finally Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray. It's that sword of the spirit that we tried, you know, let's get it into people's hands, literally. So that they know how to use it because our battles battles here in northwest Ohio, our battles over in Russia, your battles wherever, they're spiritual. And they must be fought with spiritual weapons. And that's the kind of thing that we try to do that we try to do that we do we get the people the sword and teach them how to use it as deb mentioned some of these major language groups if you if you never heard of these countries I'm going to say it again you know, uzbekistan and turkmenistan and kazakhstan and tajik you know all these stand countries when it all opened up in 1992 and they became new countries all of a sudden we have 17 or 18 new national languages. During that, before that time in the Soviet Union, it was all Russian. Everybody learned how to speak Russian, read Russian. They had the Bible in Russian, not a problem. But in 92, 93, when everything happened and changed and they became countries, they all of a sudden had new languages, new national languages. And they were very proud of their national language and all of a sudden Russian became second and Uzbek became first in Uzbekistan. And Kyrgyz became first in Kyrgyzstan, and Tajik, and all down the line. And they needed help developing their language. They're old languages, they've been written, but they needed help. And so they let the West, anybody, come on in and help out. And some of those countries, we'd come in and we'd say, hey, we're going to do the Bible translation. They'd say, no problem, as long as you help us do this. Others, they'd say, you know, work on a dictionary for us, a Turkmen English Dictionary. And if you're going to do the Bible translation, just kind of keep it quiet. And so they did. 20 years later, it's been 20 years now, all those major languages are done, or in the final stages. Huge groups of people working, large organizations, United Bible Societies, working together to get these languages, these major languages, get them the Word of God. Now, over the last 10 years, however, the stand part of these countries has come up, the Islamic, Muslim parts. And all those countries I just mentioned, the stand countries, we have no missionaries working there anymore. They've all been kicked out over the last 10 years. Our work now has to be done through Skype or, or off-site in some other neutral country. And, and some of the countries that we've done translations in, they don't even, at first they said it was okay now they don't even want the Bible back in. They don't even want the Bible in there. We have to bring it in. It's different ways, you know, bring it in on your little thumb drive or <laughs> text it in on somebody else, something like that, some sort of technological, technology to get it into the people's hands. These countries that at first said it was okay, and now they say, no way, we do not want the word of God in there. And I always find that interesting. You know, these countries, supposedly, they're Islamics, they believe the Quran and they don't even believe the Bible. It's some stories, part of it they believe in the Old Testament, but the other part, it's just stories, but yet they say, there's no way, we do not want it in there. And I'm pretty sure, even though they don't know this passage, well, maybe they do. Uh, One of the things in the book of Revelation, talks again about the sword of the Lord, book of Revelation chapter 19. And what the sore Lord is going to do to nations at the end of the times or, you know, depending on what you think on that. But here's what it's going to do. Revelation 19, starting at verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows, but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. It's Jesus coming down. Here's what he's going to do. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of... The double-edged sword that we know from Ephesians and other places is the Word of God. And Jesus is the Word, and he comes. And I believe that these, and definitely Satan, the enemy, understands that the Word of God is what judges the nations. The Word of God is going to come in, and they, don't, they are afraid of it. And we can see that even sometimes in our country. You can't say certain things from the podium. Uh, you, if you're in a public place, they don't want to hear because it judges them. It strikes them down. It is, shows them where they have gone wrong. And they just don't want it in there. So that's the spiritual battle that we're working with right now. Now, in, so in the former Soviet Union, the major languages are done. Uh, now comes the fun part. The small groups. You know, when I was growing up, when I heard Wickliffe Bible Translators, I would automatically and immediately think jungles, living in little huts. Uh, No electricity, uh, no running water. That hasn't been the case where we've worked over the last 20 years, but it's starting to be the case now. We're just now in the process of going into the smaller languages. Um, 5,000 speakers maybe, 10,000 speakers. In Siberia, it's the reindeer herding tribes. Down in the Caucasus Mountains is in the south of Russia. It's just every mountain valley has its own language. And so it's these smaller languages, harder to get to. And people just, they need and they want the word of God, but it takes a long time and a lot of work. There's one story that uh, was told to us by a friend of ours, a translator out in Siberia, just to give you an idea of what, why it's so important. Because everyone in the former Soviet Union, all those countries we listed, they can read Russian. No problem. They can read the Bible in Russian. No problem but the Bible's not in what we call their heart language or the language they speak at home. And one time a friend of ours, he was out in Siberia and he was talking to these ladies who were believers and they were in a reindeer herding tribe and they had called him up and wanted to find out if we'd be able to work on their small language, about 5,000 speakers, to put it in the language into their, own, you know, put the Bible in their own language. So they were in this meeting, and they were speaking in Russian and in a local language and in their own little tribal language. And they were speaking, and they were all excited. And at the end of the meeting, my friend said, Why don't we pray for God's direction on where to go from here? As soon as they started to pray, everybody switched to Russian. And he stopped, and he said, Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why don't you pray in your own language? And they looked at him. And they said, "You mean God understands our language?" I smile about it a little bit and think about it, but every time they opened up the Word of God and read the Word of God, it was always in Russian. They, well, God understands Russian, yeah, no problem, but my language, five thousand people he understands that, yeah, he understands that. Wow, as they started praying the first time they had ever prayed in their own language to God and, and Whenever they prayed, he said it was even it was, it was even worse than Russian because they'd pray like King James Russian, Thee, thy thou that some, and 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 so he just said no no pray God understands and that's the Bible that we try to get the heart language into their into so they can read it and understand it completely. Deb's involved in that. Um, she works in the administrative office now, and when we go back this time, uh, her role is going to change a little bit. Now, I think it's pretty exciting. She's trained, um, she's been training people as they come over to Russia and training them to go out, um, missionaries, cultural learning, things like that. Uh, Some changes are happening and when she goes back this time she's mainly going to be working with Russians who are missionaries and they've joined up with uh, Russia Wycliffe. So they're going to be Russians and she'll be training them Helping them to understand what it means to go different cultures, even in their own country, go to different cultures. Some of them will work in Russia. Some of them will work in India. Some will work in countries in Africa, and so she'll be involved in that. And it's pretty exciting. And we're looking. Uh, I think she's looking forward to it. Yeah, she's looking forward to it. <laughs> so that's where we're. That's what Debbie does. Um, and in a little while, we'll have a. In a couple minutes, we'll have a video. To show a little bit about what i do and i work at an international school it's called the international academy of saint petersburg and it does the same thing that Wycliffe does is where we try to teach and train it's a normal school meaning it's just like wassion or pettersville not quite as big um, uh, jake graduated last year from our school there were five or six graduates five So it's a small graduating class of five kids, but it's mainly um, missionaries and business people, foreigners. uh, You'll see in the video, the large portion of them are from Asia, South Korea. Uh, And we go there to train them, to teach them so that their parents can work either in business or in missions community in St. Petersburg. So if we have the video uh, give a little bit. It's a four-minute clip. Give a little idea on what I do over in Russia. What's a third-culture kid? Anybody know? Ah, it's just a new term. They used to call them MKs, missionary kids. <laughs> uh, but now they call them third-culture kids mainly because... Um, our Christian school, the International Academy, half the students are from business, the business community. So they're not technically missionary kids. And so the definition for a third culture kid though is this. I wrote this down. A third culture kid is someone who has spent a considerable part of his developmental years outside the parent's culture. They're able to build relationships with all cultures, not having full ownership in any give you an example uh, my son Jake uh, I was 12 years of school in fourth grade he was homeschooled here and in ninth grade he spent his ninth grade year in St Petersburg so those developmental years is 12 years of school two of them were spent in the United States the rest of them in Russia so America's his passport culture that's one culture Russia, where he's lived most of his, all, almost all of his life, is this second culture. And then the third culture is, well, that culture that they, if you saw the kids, uh, the, the ones that just, they form their own culture in their school. And that then becomes their third culture, the ones that they feel the closest with. They're not Americans, although they look American. They're not Russians, although they can speak Russian. They're this third culture. And those are the kids that we work with, training them to use the word of God. Now, what does that mean? So just give you a couple examples of what that means in an international setting, um, and I teach history and Bible, P.E., uh, P.E., K through 12, history and Bible, seven through 12. Let's give you one example in history. This happened about five years ago. It's a history class, it's a small, small class. The classes are small. I had one German student one Japanese student, one student from South Korea, and two Americans. And we were studying world history. And we get to World War II. All right, okay. Whose history are you gonna teach? All right, Because the German, what? Johannes, they, you, if you're a German, you forget about those 10 years. The Jap- Japanese student, and this is, I'm not kidding, they still wonder why we bombed them, Hiroshima. They don't understand. They're still a bit upset. We've never said they're sorry about bombing. The South Korean, he's really glad we bombed the Japanese because they were in they were in Korea, and that's finally got him out of Korea. The Japanese finally got out of Korea. And the Americans, you know, we'll, we'll it's the greatest generation. I've watched Saving Private Ryan. We did it all. Doesn't include what the Russians think. Just real quick. I, the 50th anniversary of the defeat of fascism, which is what they call a victory day in Russia. Uh, my friend of mine, my Russian, asked me who I thought defeated the Germans, my Russian friend. I thought it was a trick question. So, you know, for those of you who are older, I, I, I said, well, uh, we did. He said, well, how many men did you lose? Uh, I don't know, it was a lot, but of course the Russians lost 20 million. How many tanks rolled into the United States? Uh, none. And you guys are the one that you know so the how you look at history it really is different and so one of the ways that we get to do is use the Word of God and what's God's perspective on these things and the, the, the passage that I like for that one uh, it's it's Hebrews chapter 4 talking about the Word of God again and what it does because when you're looking at history um, well I'll, I'll, I'll read the page this is the famous one for Hebrews or for the word of God. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It judges our attitudes and our thoughts, our attitudes about what we think about the Germans, the Nazis, or the Japanese. You have to look at these things as historical, or even what's happening right now. Do you dislike someone because he's just a Republican or just a Democrat, or what's the reason? And the word of God is what judges you and your thoughts and attitudes about certain situations. And that's what we get to do. And it's a right up front in your face thing because everybody looks at, every culture will look at those historical uh, history differently. And so you get to use the word of God and judge that because everything, sharper and everything will be laid bare and held to account, even what we do as the United States. So that's just a joy and it's just great fun. Now, one of the things you noticed that, uh, that, that video at the end there, um, the director of our school, uh, Tammy Plaster, this video was made about 14 months ago, just before we came back on furlough. There was a couple things well, there was only really when we came back, there was only one thing that we were to do when we came back on furlough, and we got this video and other things because we needed to, as most of you, you know, missions, missionaries are always needing money, right? When we came back, our mission agency said, you need to raise twice as much as you're receiving. We need to double our income. Now, last week, as I sat here and thought about faith and fear, and I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, how? Whoa. Well, it's, we're in the fifth month now of 2013. Um, God has blessed in unbelievable ways. We've already made as much in these first five months as we did all last year. How does that work? How does that work? Well, churches like you support us, even though you never even saw us. <laughs> and other ways that it happened. It's just absolutely incredible. God blessed us. It's unbelievable. So that's the faith part, right? That's the faith building part. And if you've noticed, that I, this is the first time I've seen this in a while. And, and uh, Tammy, our director, said we want to build a sense of permanence and, and of the school and uh, just continue on. Well, here's where your church and our other supporters come in in the prayer. What can we pray for, people ask. What can we pray for for you and your work? So God supported us in unbelievable ways. Two months ago, however, our school, the International Academy of St. Petersburg, we were in a court case with the Russian federal courts. About a year ago, they made a law and it was aimed at Getting more control over nonprofit organizations that receive funds from overseas. Guess what? We're a nonprofit school, and most of our money comes from Koreans. Or it doesn't come from Russians. It comes from foreigners. So we're in this category. And the judge was looking at all of our paperwork, and we actually had to, to uh, fax Jake's diploma there to prove that we actually do what we say we're doing. A couple about a couple months ago. And we thought, there's no way they're going to give us a bad, because we are not political, we don't say anything bad about the government, we love Putin, we're, you know, pray for him. The judge came back, 1st of March, and here was his decision. The International Academy of St. Petersburg needs to cease to exist and liquidate all assets. (laughs) I I got the news a day after it happened, I'm like, what, what, what? How does that work cease to exist that that was a term I love that term cease to exist and liquidate all assets well the first thing they did was they took everything out of the school they didn't want seized <laughs> took it home and then they drained their bank accounts so they couldn't their assets couldn't be frozen then you hire a bunch of lawyers right that's what you do next <laughs> And that's the process we're in right now March 21st I'm sorry May 21st was our first appeal hearing Our lawyers walked in and like good lawyers always do, they said, we didn't have enough time, we need to have more time. And so the judge said, fine, July 11th. So July 11th is the date where the judge is either gonna say, yep, you must cease to exist or you guys don't really fall into that. Now, I've been following it online and there hasn't been one case of a judge overturning a previous exam, but you never know, right? I mean that's one of the things when you study and we talk about the faith and the fear. So when we go back, we have absolute I have absolutely no idea. We don't know where, when, how. The school will meet. There will be teachers there. There'll be students there. But where, when, how, no idea. And we won't know until July 12th. And by that time it's too late, we'll already have our tickets and we ready to go. What a wow. So that's where you get involved praying for us. My prayer is that the judge on July 11th will give us a stamp of approval, a miracle, almost as miraculous in my mind as parting of the Red Sea. And I, again, thank you so much for being part of our ministry, part of your ministry, getting the word of God into people's hands in Russia and Central Asia, and teaching children and kids, students, how to use the Word of God, and looking at things through God's eyes. And we all have that chance, right? As Todd talked about last week, to live in faith or live in fear. And the way that you live in faith is by understanding the Word of the Lord and by understanding that it is the sword of the Lord and goes against all the evil forces. So please stand with me and we'll pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this church, for True North, for helping us get the word of God into people's hands and understand it. And Lord, I pray as we go about our week, as we're here in Northwest Ohio, we go about the month, that we not only listen to your word, Lord, but we also do it, that we live in faith, not in fear. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you so much. For sharing thanks so much for sharing what's happening over there um, as you were sharing um, I, a scripture popped to my mind it's out of Psalm 119 uh, verse 103 it says how sweet are your words to my taste they're sweeter than honey and um, I don't know about you but I like to relate things back to food if it wasn't for me exercising I'd be much 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 larger um, so here's my challenge as July 11th approaches. If we believe that the, the word of God is sweeter than honey, and I know we all eat, we're going to at some time put some syrup on our pancakes, some honey, some sugar in our coffee. I, I'm not even going, going to go all the sweet things that we eat, but every time you eat something sweet, pray for the seagulls. Pray for IA over there in Russia because... If we're praying, if we are you know, lifting their cause up, God's going to do some awesome, awesome things. So I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you before you leave, go have your name written in Russian. I'm really excited to see what mine, hopefully mine isn't hoax. <laughs> but um, the Lord be with you, and the Lord bless you. Amen.